Welcome to the Rough Puffs. I'm your host, Andrea Bennett. And I'm Kim Fu. This is a podcast where we talk about the Great British Bake Off as we rewatch the whole thing from the beginning. We're up to Series 5, Episode 3, Bread Week. I love a bread week. It's a very, it's a practical week. It's a week that is usually practical. You know, there's none that faffing around with like um, milk poached meringues and things of that <laughs> nature. The one thing I will say about this bread week, though, so their signature challenge is to make 12 rye bread rolls, and they get three and a half hours to do it, and um, I am jealous. I'm really jealous. You can kind of make uh, rye-ish tasting bread but just by using, like, caraway seeds and, like, flavors you find with rye, but you'll never get a proper rye flavor, and I love a pumpernickel. I love a German... You know, you know those like square bread shapes that you get at the grocery store. They're kind of malty. I love that shit. And so, were they a huge part of your life before you could like like in the in the gluten era? You ate a lot of rye bread. I did. Yeah, it used to be my go-to bread over white bread, over sourdough, over everything. It's my favorite kind of bread. Hmm. I really love it with like butter and peanut butter. I love it with beans on toast. I just really like it. It would have been my go-to choice at like a breakfast restaurant. And the only thing I sometimes dislike is, like, it's not rye enough. Or, like, we have Richard who makes an American, a quote-unquote American pumpernickel. <laughs> That's the only, that would have been the only disappointing moment. But, yeah, no, my favorite. So if you add coffee and black treacle and caraway seeds and honey and all of these and all of these things to a gluten-free loaf, is it just sad or does it, like, kind of scratch the itch? Maybe I should try it again. I It was only in my earlier era of bread making that I tried that. I have to assume it would be sad. But it's been over a decade, so maybe it's time to try again because I won't remember. Or then I will remember and then I'll know again. It's like ordering from Panago Pizza. It's really bad, but maybe once or twice a year we'll forget how bad it is and want takeout. I feel that way about McDonald's. Is It's like an experience I need to have once a year. Uh, it, the, the experience was recent, actually, um, and I was explaining to JP that it doesn't even register as food exactly. It's like this separate category of sensory experience that I sometimes crave. And as I'm eating it, it's like it doesn't register as food to my brain. It's just like a thing I want to do. <laughs> I like the salty fries. I really love the salty McDonald's fries. I love a McNugget and a McFlurry. I think those are specific. <laughs> yeah. True. So, alrighty. So, a lot of interesting flavors here. You know, Louis uh, Lewis's opposites attract rolls, which feature um, a light colored dough and a dark colored dough. So, the pale one is fennel and parsnip and carrots. Oh wait, no, fennel and parsnip, and then the dark one is carrots, coffee, chocolate. I thought that that was gonna be like a nightmare. And he says even actually, like, they'll be great or a complete disaster. And they come out looking amazing and they're baked really well. Mary loves them. Paul says they're pure alchemy and then it gives him a handshake. Paul also thought they were going to be way too many flavors, just the way you did. Mm-hmm. And then he was he was stunned that it worked. Yeah, I, I liked the way Lewis's looked and I also liked the way Kate's looked. 
Um, yeah. I really love the twisting stage of all Bread Week bakes. Like, I love, watch, like, it's very satisfying watching them do the twists and when, you know, the moment that the splits, like, show the fillings and, like, it, like before they're baked, when the shape is perfect and you don't net, yet know what baking is going to do to it, you know? And I loved, I loved the two of theirs because they had different colored doughs that they were weaving together. But, but everybody, I feel like, had very cool concepts that, like, looked, well, actually, okay, in my notes, there's this progression where it says, like, they all look beautiful at this twisting stage. And then when they came out of, I was like, I wonder how they'll bake. And then when they came out of the oven, I was like, they all look great coming out of the oven. I wonder what they taste like. And ultimately, like, that's where people fell. I feel like up until the last minute, it seemed like everybody was a success. Do you feel like anybody did poorly, actually, in this in this opening? So they say that Diana's tastes good. She does a cheese and walnut rye roll and those flavors sound good she does a shropshire blue rye and stilton but she makes them in flower pots and tops them with cheese and butter mm-hmm. and they look weird like paul physically removes the sort of like muffin top that the roll has developed and i guess what i don't understand is like why how one gets there to being like oh you know what would be nice for a roll is to shove it in a flower pot so I was surprised there wasn't any physical consequence to all of that handling and shoving and like that she integrated her mix-ins like at the very beginning before the first proving even. Yeah. Uh, I really thought that something was going to go wrong in a more technical way with her bread because of all of her strange choices. Uh, but in the end, it was like purely aesthetics. Like Paul just didn't like the muffin top edge, yeah. but everything else worked out fine. Like there was nothing wrong with the bake. So I just remember there are two bakers who kind of underbaked their buns and both for kind of glaze reasons. So Richard's rye and cranberry rolls, which also had a ton of flavors, treacle, coffee, cinnamon, cranberries, caraway. Um, he does an egg white glaze and then Martha does like a f- egg wash and both of them, because of the wash, end up with slightly underbaked rolls the um why the wash is a bad idea is like a through line mystery through the whole segment (laughs) you know at the very beginning he tells martha that it's daring to use an egg wash but he won't tell her why and then in the middle of the challenge she recounts the story to someone else and then says like but i'm gonna do it anyway uh and then it's and then at the end is the the answer revealed is that it just it makes it look brown too early. Kate gets around this problem with her orange and cardamom rye bread knots by doing an orange glaze after they're out of the oven. And so they're nice and shiny and they look great, but it has nothing to do with the bake. My half a guess when they were getting a hard time for this was that most of these doughs seem like like lean doughs, so non-enriched doughs. And I was sort of wondering if the egg wash was going to inhibit the rise or something like in the mm. that last bit of rise in the oven but i was wrong <laughs> zero out of ten fail nancy says uh that the thing about rye bread is it's like if it's a little bit over that's totally fine but if it's a little bit under it's totally disgusting uh and i i was thinking about that and i could see that because the flavors themselves that typically go in a rye bread do tend to be kind of on the smoky or burny edge you know <laughs> like the yeah. way coffee or like 
dark syrup. The way all these things taste is already like leaning toward of burned, right? So if the bread was just leaning in that direction, it wouldn't really matter. But Nancy's were also a little underbaked, actually. Paul said 10 more minutes wouldn't have, wouldn't have done any harm. It's a long ass time because she baked them for like 15 or something. I yeah, think. exactly. Exactly. I think he said like five minutes would have been perfection. 10 minutes wouldn't have hurt it. So it's like very underbaked is I think what he meant. She does a cool thing with a crust that I hadn't seen before. She does a yeasted crust that she makes out of pear cider, walnut oil, and rye flour. It looks really good. And she puts really it on proof stage and so it ends up being like crackled and it looks, yeah, it looks super cool. I want to try that trick someday. I think hers and Kate's look the most appealing sort of from the, from the jump. Although, okay, here's a question. What do you do with a roll? Like, do you make a sandwich out of a roll? Or do you do a soup? Like, what what do you personally do with a roll? Um, I don't buy rolls, typically. Yeah. Um, like, they're not a staple in my house. But I I do love them with a soup. Like, there was a... I, I worked at, a like, a bakery coffee shop, and one of my favorite things to do was get their like soup of the day and mm. one of the bread rolls like that varied like they, they they were often like interesting bread rolls like the kind that are in this challenge and I think that yeah that's perfect with a soup okay so I would eat a walnut burger like a, like a really old school 70s vegetarian burger like I've never walnut. had one of those uh um Keith Maillard was just reminding me about them their existence on Twitter the other day and I bulk ordered walnuts this year so I could make them but uh Nancy's pear cider and walnut crusty rolls. I can see those being good with like a walnut burger and a, and a good cheese. So maybe I've answered my own question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Like good for burgers, good for soup. Uh, I also feel like they're good at formal meals too. Like if you have a oh, fancy yeah. family sharing meal where there's like a right. big roast and a green bean casserole, that kind of thing. Like a, a formal white people dinner, I feel like is where you have rolls. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I feel like for those, most of the time you're buying the rolls out at a bakery or something because they're like an extra starch you can get without having to take up oven oven space. Some people love those like ready-made dough rolls where like the Pillsbury, oh, Pillsbury dough crescent kind of Well, the, cre- the crescents are like little croissants, right? But like they, they do make yeah. a dinner roll one too that people love. I don't like any of the Pillsbury stuff. I don't know why. I never have. It's there's some kind of one of the chemically tastes that's in there I don't like and we've talked about this before I don't have like a complete ban against chemically taste I'm a loyal diet coke drinker but one of the things in Pillsbury or Pillsbury doughs of all kinds is just like not my thing you know I've never had them but I do eat a lot of like hotel pastries like hotel Mm. rolls hotel mini croissants that kind of thing um (laughs) We have talked about it on the show before. Yeah. Hotel and gas station mini things that I have always imagined that that's what the Pillsbury ones are like, but I've never actually had them. I think that they are like that. So often in my life, I have been in food desperation scenarios where I'm eating a ton of those types of pastries and rolls or like <laughs> stuffing them in my bag kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like when I'm like in a rush between two locations or something or like something or like the day in front of me does not have food built into it. And I'm concerned about that. My go-to tends to be like um, bags of nuts and like protein bars, which are the protein bars are really, they're gross in their own way. But then you have to plan ahead for. <laughs> you can, no, you can get, you can get them at convenience stores these days. They do have them. Well, okay. But here's the other thing is like, I really like free food, right? So if I'm at a hotel that has like a terrible... <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's like a terrible continental breakfast situation. And it's like the rest of the day may or may not have food. It's like, I am for sure going to be like, oh, hundred percent, you know, shoving yeah. down as many of those king- things as I can. My options of those are limited. And you know, my hugest pet peeve about it is that they usually have diet yogurt instead of like real yogurt. Yeah. And so it'll be like, which Super is like, liquidy. come on, man. <laughs> so bad it's and they're so small and it's like only 30 calories and i'm like oh that's not a selling point (laughs) trying to cobble together a meal all right we should move on is there anything else you want to say about any of these roles maybe ian's is notable yes ian's is notable because he used his his pet sourdough that was at five months old at the time of filming uh and that he keeps in a closet in his house do you have a sourdough starter going? Does Will use one? I feel like that's come up. Will has a sourdough starter. I do not. I've thought about it. I want to. Um, but I just make yeasted breads instead of using a sourdough starter. I don't fully know how to make a gluten-free one. And oftentimes, like, Will's came from a friend. So I want to figure it out. Where does Will store it in your house? In the fridge, yeah, with the lid off. Not in a closet. With the lid off. Or a cracked, with the lid cracked, kind of. Because it builds up gases. Mm. And he feeds it and whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a thing. Does it, does it have a name? Hey, Will. Does your sourdough starter have a name? No. <laughs> you could propose one. Um, so I think this is like a very talented group of bakers. Like I think the people in this group who are the worst are better than the pe- the worst people usually are. Like when I compare mm. to other seasons, the floor is a lot higher for this group, I would say. I, I'll agree with that. But we should turn to the ciabatta mm-hmm. challenge, which actually does make somewhat of a split between some of our bakers in a way. Yes, that's true. Um, Paul's advice is be patient. Which, okay. I guess that's more helpful than usual. Um, sometimes it's like, read the instructions, and it's like, what What do you expect? Anyway, they get three hours to do it. Um, they want to see big, visible air holes inside and, like, a nice, crusty crust. Um, Mel just randomly speaks Italian. Pretty well. At different times in this. Yeah. She's, she's a really multi-talented person. Because she's spoken other, I think she's spoken German before on the show, and maybe French. After she delivers a Italian monologue, she like gives this cheeky smug smile to the camera that I really <laughs> liked. Like she's like, "Bet you didn't know I could do that." <laughs> yeah. And then at one point, um, well, at the end, Richard says he thinks his looks kind of like a big slipper. And then Mel is like, "The word for Italian, word in Italian for slipper is ciabatta." And so, you know, that's you know, a little I bit of a did, shot in the arm. I did actually know that. Um, but Ooh, from, like, the food marginalia kind of way, not because uh. I know anything about <laughs> Italian. So I, I feel like the first big drama happens with the question of do you proof it on the counter in the drawer? Uh, because their recipe says to proof it at room temperature, but it's really cold and rainy that particular day. Like, actually, in the opening of this episode, Mel and Sue are, like, sitting outside all bundled up, yeah. uh, making jokes about the, the British summer. And... Every single one of them kind of goes through this in their head, like, do I put it in the drawer or not? Uh, and Richard even kind of splits the difference. Like, he puts it in the drawer and then takes it out and is like, yeah. I, like oh, or I'll put it back. I don't know. And then Kate and Lewis have this, like, great discussion where Kate says to him, like, most people are using the proving drawers. And he says, don't buckle. Like, the two of them, like, they know they're right, but they're, like, you know, they're feeling the peer pressure. Uh, and then and then they are right. They're first and second. And theirs are are both, like, pretty perfect. 
um, where, you know, a lot of people essentially made pitas, as Paul said, like they're just completely flat. What's interesting is I feel like they're flat for different reasons, actually. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are flat because of the proving drawer again, but some of them are flat, like, because they handled it too much, like they, like mm-hmm. they pounded the air out and some of them, and Jordan uses oil instead of flour, um, mm-hmm. which is, makes the whole thing wrong, but I bet tasty, like wrong, but maybe delicious. I don't know. Prior to this, Jordan hadn't, I hadn't found him as annoying as you do. And as one of our listeners does, he commented on Twitter about it. But in, something about him in this episode was driving me nuts. <laughs> and I guess one of the things is like, they have ciabatta at the grocery store. And I imagine it's not very good. But you can clearly see it's flour dusted at the yes. grocery store. Like, yes. it's just, like, one of those things where if I conjure what my childhood grocery store looks like, if I conjure what my current, you know, I can picture where they have the ciabatta in that, like, bin area near the front in their, like, quote-unquote bakery that's kind of a bakery, but not really. Well, it is a bakery. They're just baking stuff off a Cisco truck that kind of sucks. I don't know. Something about Jordan, but including the oiling Martha actually complained that because ciabattas are so flowery, it's kind of hard to tell when they're done. Like, because her, you know, mental Mm -hmm. image of a ciabatta is covered in flowers, so that's what she did. And then she was like, but that actually makes it very hard to tell if it's finished. Yeah, I think most people can picture it, and they picture the flower dusting. JP was, like, in the room while I was watching, but wasn't watching. Like, he was reading a book, like, on an adjacent chair, uh, and... He also found Jordan, like, annoying, like, just kind of when he was looking up briefly or hearing his voice. But he said he thinks the reason we find that he and I find Jordan annoying is because he reminds us of ourselves. Like, he (laughs) talks and laughs in a particular way that is very awkward and very sort of classically nerdy. Like, a classic nerd in the sense of, like, what you would call a nerd in, like, a 90s movie. Yeah. And JP and I have a lot of those same mannerisms. So he thinks it's, like, an in-group cringe kind of thing. He does strike me, he has always struck me as someone who, like a classic kind of nerd who plays like a tabletop RPG with his friends on a Saturday night. You know, I have been struggling to get into a tabletop RPG group during the <laughs> pandemic. I had one like fall apart and then another one just like, I'm on the mailing list, but we kind of just can't get our timing together. Because in theory, mm. it's easier to do this than ever because of Zoom. But right. I don't know. I'm looking for a tabletop RPG group. And maybe that's why I hate Jordan. Yeah. Because you know he has one. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. They all look not so bad to me. Even the flat ones, before they really start taking a close look to them. Well, the only one that looks weird is Jordan's. Like, when the camera pans over, it's like, well, what did you do? But, yeah, I never would have put it in the proving drawer. But I don't put anything in the proving drawer. Like, everything's on the countertop for me. And... Um, sometimes a nice slow prove is better, develops flavor better. Like you can even do a prove in the fridge, like an overnight proof in the fridge for lean dose, which this is. I can see the debate in this exact scenario though. Like if it's, it's cold and wet and you have a time limit, like I can see being like, you got to do what you got to do. I did think about making ciabatta this week, but the dough is super slack. Like it's Mm -hmm. almost like gluey or something. And that's always a bit sketchy with gluten-free doughs. Usually when you have a slack dough, you want to give it, I mean, this has come up on the the podcast before, but you want to give it a boundary if it's gluten-free. You can stuff it in a flower pot like Diana. Yeah. (laughs) We've also talked on the show about how I 
I've been boycotting Whole Foods for a couple of years. Um, but one of the yeah. things that I miss is the specific combination of sandwich ingredients I could get at Whole Foods. They had really good ciabatta buns and they had a really good uh, Gouda cheese from a, like a particular, you know, mm. Oregon cheese maker. And then they had this really good mortadella from this like different Oregon meat <laughs> person. And then they had like these, like they have olives and pickles. Like there are these specific things you could get at Whole Foods that were so good and made like the perfect sandwich. And among them was the ciabatta buns. Have you ever checked to see if you could order the mortadella like online? Yes, actually. Mm. Uh, I can, but in such quantities, I don't know what yeah. I would do. <laughs> Befriend meat eaters. I don't know. That's true. If I if I knew enough people who wanted mortadella, I could buy the whole log and then divvy it up. I, living in a sort of small town that's kind of a little bit, a little remote, around these parts we bulk order in groups and divvy so back to ciabatta as you mentioned lewis and kate end up top of the pack and kate just edges out lewis um and martha's in third go martha Mm -hmm. and then at the bottom obviously we have jordan and but then ninth is ian and eighth is chetna you know without being able to taste them or cut into them i thought nancy would be third when i when we were just looking at them i was like kate lewis and nancy's look good Mm. Um, but nancy's had kind of very esoteric problems (laughs) like that that you could Mm. only feel in the mouth you know and then she ended up being fifth and martha's i thought looked you know like the rest of them which was flat nancy's was the correct like shape to me um but apparently she shaped it or overhandled it probably and so it lost its giant air holes which they wanted to see Mm -hmm. but yeah poor nancy norman is very pleased that he's moving up in the ranks because he's done very poorly on the technicals in the first two weeks and he's and he's like next week i'll be first at this you know if the train continues (laughs) i love how optimistic he is okay should we go to andrea's baking corner let's do it So you made stromboli because Nancy makes stromboli in the yeah. showstopper. Like I, so that makes two weeks in a row that you're following a Nancy recipe. Well, no, not fo- like not following a Nancy recipe, but following in Nancy's footsteps. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so I made two. My initial idea was to do Gruyere, caramelized onion, and chard stromboli, and then the other one I made because I had a double batch of dough. So um, I did kind of just more like a pizza one um, with some... So the chard was for my garden for the first one. And then for the second one, I had some frozen uh, kind of rustic tomato sauce. And I mixed that with TVP and then did some mozzarella. TVP? Texturized vegetable protein. Uh. Very old school vegetarian ingredient. It looks like ground beef in the picture or yeah, like, or yeah. like a caseless sausage. It's like that, but it's not. The newfangled fake meats uh, have fat added to them. This is kind of an old school one that does not. It's like a pretty low fat meat substitute. So it's high protein, but low fat. A major benefit of TVP in this application, however, is that like I knew I was going to cook my tomato sauce down so that it wasn't super wet going into the dough. You can rehydrate TVP outside of the pan, but you can also, because it just takes like not very long to rehydrate, you can just chuck it in dry and then it sucks up all that moisture. Mm. So 
I hadn't thought about the fact that I'm following Nancy's footsteps again. I kind of just looked at what they had baked, like on their list of bakes. I didn't. I chose my bake before I watched the episode. When I saw the full English stromboli, I was kind of thinking about how I love that swirl in a stromboli. And then sort of as soon as I started thinking about it, and as soon as I thought about the charred caramelized onion and Gruyere version, I I just sort of had that in my mind. And with the other ones, a lot of the other ones are tricky, like tricky for gluten-free reasons. Mm. Normally, most of the loaves I make are smaller. Then you can go with a gluten-full loaf because the it'll collapse in on itself. I don't know. There are just things about gluten-free dough that make it harder to do a big celebratory loaf. So yeah, I just wanted to try out a stromboli. But the funny thing is, is that um, Nancy, like she puts hers on the table and they're immediately like, this is not celebratory. It's yeah. a log. Yeah. <laughs> it just sits there. What kind of centerpiece is this? How did you feel about yours? Did you feel like yours was a show-stopping centerpiece? We make pizza here, like, you know, on a semi-regular basis, using kind of whatever we've got along in the garden, because it's kind of just like a carb that'll carry whatever. So it was kind of like an exciting alternative to pizza. Um, and when we sliced it open, well, okay, so the the one that was my of my design, and not the, like, last minute, okay, I'll whip this together, the, like, cheesy chardy one Mm -hmm. that one stayed together pretty well egg wash worked well enough and then it it did have a spiral in the center kind of more or less and it was super it was super tasty so you know that always helps the other one uh exploded (laughs) just you know it had a it broke open because it was just too much moisture and too Mm -hmm. much filling but it was also tasty. Sinclair and I liked it. Will thought they were rich. Uh, rich? Yeah, like like slightly too rich or something. What about it? Like just that it's too much bread or just cheese heavy? Or, like because it's so yeah, maybe cheese lean. Heavy. Uh, yeah. Like the I ingredients are so lean heavy. to me. Hmm. He thought it was too rich to have seconds, I guess. <sighs> that's not. And also I. That's not a thing that ever happens to me. <laughs> yeah. I should have made like a salad or something to go with it and totally didn't. In the summer, we get a CSA box and grow a lot of vegetables. In the winter, it's kind of more like bean season around here and like leafy greens, but not the salad kind. What was the texture of the bread part like in in the center? Is it pretty dry or is it? I think that's what I'm having trouble with is like the point where Mm -hmm. the bread meets the filling. Like what is the texture and wetness of it? It's kind of like pizza-y. So more like a pizza than like a meatball sub? Yeah, but you know how some pizzas do have like a little bit of wetness? Yeah, with the pizza one, it was a little bit, it had a little bit of that wetness. But mostly it was like, it wasn't, it was, it was, it was more like bread than, than pizza. What is the benefit of making a stromboli as opposed to like making the filling and dumping it inside of like bread that's sliced in half like like what is the difference i guess oh it does it sort of flavors the dough it does make it richer somehow mm. i guess it's like the difference between like if you picture just baking a pie shell and then baking the fillings and putting them on, on after they're both baked you know there's it just they come together a little bit in a way that's satisfying mm. i would eat the the cheesy one again. Although I have done this kind of filling with a galette before, 
Mm-hmm. And it's possible that it makes, that I would just make a galette in the future. Pastry beets bread. Yeah. But I've always been curious to make a stromboli, so I'm kind of glad I did it. But now I've made it and I don't need to do it again. <laughs> what I would love to make is sometime is a meatball sub, though. I miss those. I love a meatball sub. Um, yeah, me too. Subway is also something like we stopped eating years ago. And my go-to was always meatball subs. I read a Reddit thread like eight years ago where Subway employees were like talking about the things they do back there in terms of like cleanliness and age of the foods and whatever. And who knows if any of this is true and I don't want to get in trouble for libel or whatever, but <laughs> it, it like this Reddit thread like freaked me out enough that I just, it just got in my oh. head in a certain way. I, there's a way in which I know it's like, well, all food service is like this, right? Especially yeah. like this corporatized whatever. But for some reason, this one really got in my head and I, I don't know. It's like I could smell what they were talking about <laughs> at a certain point. And I actually, after I read that, I never went back to a subway uh, and there and there are other places to get me ball subs, um, but it's just I remember a lot of times in before that, like I would be in that same kind of like food emergency type situation, and I just go get a ball sub at at Subway. So I've worked at I worked at a Subway, um, and it it wasn't bad at all in terms of food service practices. And in fact, like we had to, they made us measure the temperatures of the. You were supposed to. Sometimes people would cheat and just, like, fudge the numbers from a previous temperature check. There wasn't a supervisor around. I always diligently checked the little cubicles. I wouldn't worry about it too much. And also, if you've never got food poisoning there, it can't have been that bad. Yeah, that's fair. There, There is a place in Seattle now that I like the meatball subs. That, But they're, they're mm, turkey good. meatballs. And it's, like, kind of a you know, fancy hippie place. So it's like not, uh, it's not exactly the same. It's not like quite as like filthy as a meatball sub out of yeah. It's like a little bit leaner yeah. and a little bit more like refined and, and that's fine. But you know, sometimes you want yeah. like a filthy meatball <laughs> sub and I don't quite know where to get that. Yeah. Oh, I really want a meatball sub now. Ooh, I have garlic butter in my fridge. You can make this happen. Yeah, I'll make it happen. Although, you know, it is something that instead of, I wouldn't use TVP. I would go and get um, Beyond Beef. The, yeah, Beyond Beef or whatever. Because you do want the fattiness in that. I have. I used to make a vegan sloppy joe called a Tidy Jane. <laughs> I <didn't> use TVP. <laughs> and kind of put it over like English muffins or whatever I had around. But yeah. I mean, if I had to choose who I was going to be... Sloppy Joe or Tidy Jane, I would choose Sloppy yeah. Joe. <laughs> Sloppy Joe's living a better life, Andrea. <laughs> yeah, he might go into like cardiac arrest when he's. But yeah. he'll have lived. He'll have lived, yeah. Alrighty, well, any other questions about the Stromboli? No, nah, we, we're kind of running low a little. A lot. We're running long. Low a little on bit. Time. We're kind of chatty yeah. tonight. Yeah, because we've been so socially isolated because we're back <laughs> in, like, March 2020. No, we're back into, t- yeah. Yeah, this is lockdown mm. levels of chatter. This is why this podcast began. Yeah, back to our roots. All righty, let's go to the Showstopper Challenge. So, uh, they're making a filled loaf, as we've talked about before, as I accidentally revealed with my baking corner. 
Um, it can be stuffed, rolled, tear and share, or keep and weep, Sue says. Um, but I don't, I don't keep and weep. Like, that's just the lunch and dinner for many days. Um, <laughs> they get four hours, four hours to make their loaves. At the very beginning, before they get into it, Paul says that Kate and Lewis are at the top, and everybody else is kind of mushed together. So the showstopper is really important. It's like whoever has a bad day here is going to be the one going home, which is scary. And I wonder if they know that, if the bakers know that. I feel like most of them feel like... They had a pretty good day. Like, I feel like everybody did pretty well on the rolls, and then everybody did kind of meh on the ciabatta in the same way. So I do feel like probably everyone feels like it's anyone's game at this point. I think that because Jordan was driving me nuts this episode for a reason I can't even exactly articulate, um, I felt like he was lower in the, you know, I felt like he was on the chopping block, but like looking back through the actual results, that's not accurate. But then yes, Lewis and Kate, obviously kind of near the top. Jordan was last on the technical. I don't think that's that out of left field. Um, Mm. And then also his, okay, so he makes the strawberry raspberry cheesecake brioche, which has like two types of compote jammy things and then cream cheese in it and it looks very wet you know like from the jump as he's as he's twisting that twisting i love that is so satisfying it it, you can tell right it's like he's like lifting the bread dough out and it's just like sopping and jam you know it's just like in a pool of jam and cream cheese and he says like i know it looks like that right now but i'm telling you like it bakes out and you don't even notice it doesn't look like that anymore. Um, and of course, that's not what comes to pass, right? Of, of course, yeah. it is like raw in the middle is kind of an understatement. It's not that it's raw. It's yeah. that it's like liquid in the center. Yeah. You know, that all this is sort Ooh. of run together. And he's the only one who makes a sweet loaf. Uh, and it looks very bad. It looks awful. And he practiced it a ton, he said. And it has only like ever gone bad a couple times. Both of those times during this week, though. Do we trust his judgment? No. Because um, when he was talking about how great he, he had, okay, maybe it was partially this. He had this moment where he was like blazing strawberries and he was like, you know, my problem in all the weeks prior to this. And when he said that, I was like, this is week three. Um, but my problem in all the weeks prior to this isn't the bake. It's making it look pretty. And I thought about his Swiss roll and how he'd had like strawberries on it and those were nice i just it irritated me that he wasn't self-aware enough to realize that that was not true at all Mm -hmm. i also think his definition of tastes good is very different than technically accomplished i don't Mm. doubt a heap of jam and cream (laughs) cheese and and you know sort of some soggy random carb i bet that would be kind of delicious in a way in in a non-specific kind of filthy heap of stuff that is never going to go wrong right uh and so he was saying like i know it tastes good i just need to make it like look as good as everyone else's so i'm like glazing some strawberries to chuck on top and it's like that's not what we're doing here jordan (laughs) you know uh actually i had a similar okay so this is interesting because jordan is like my least favorite and i think norman might be one of my most favorite um Mm. but i had a similar reaction to something norman said uh his is uh, like a picnic pie, right? Where he's just kind of gone with like bottom crust, top crust, minimal decoration. Yeah. Um, and it yeah. does look very neat. Like it looks, it looks it great. Does. It looks like a great pie. But you know, what Mar- Mary says is it looks like a great family picnic pie. You know, it doesn't look 
spectacular. It doesn't look like a showstopper. It doesn't look like a centerpiece, you know? And at one point, Norman says, like, I think if it's homemade, it should look homemade. You know, like, I'm going for, like, kind of a rustic look. And I agree with that in general, but not here. You know, this is not what we're doing on GBBO. (laughs) Like, the brief is a little different. I thought it looked kind of nice. Like, I wasn't... Apparently, it's got raw dough at the bottom, the way it works out. But, like, it's always going to be difficult when you do something vegetarian. Like, that, it, it is hard, actually. His is not vegetarian. It has chicken in it. Yeah, but, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. He has tons of roasted vegetables and sun-dried tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's easier to do, like, a chicken bacon cheese or something. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the, what I did with the stromboli that didn't explode um, to caramelize the onions. And I did proper caramelized onion this time did not do a balsamic cheat um to cook the chard until all of the liquids out and then have cheese like you really have to have everything kind of not yeah basically wet just at all so he messes up there but I think like the way that his looks I would be happy if I saw it on the table he does little cute like animals or something he does little like dough cutouts that he puts on top and they just look cute I like them. I think I would love it in real life. Like, I would love it at a dinner party. I don't know that, like, I don't love it on TV, you know? Um. <laughs> it's not It's not a TV-level showstopper, I guess is what I mean. And I think he sort of knows that in a way, right? And and that's where... Oh, yeah, I see what you're this, saying. This defensive philosophy comes from about being, like, a simple baker and being an old-fashioned baker. Uh, and he's... So funny and charming and sweet, and I love Norman. Um, but this is this is one thing that did kind of irk me a little bit, and irk the judges too. Like they they told him like yeah. we keep talking to you about the same thing. We keep saying over and over again like it's too simple. You need to be more adventurous. And he and you know he's like, I mean pesto is so exotic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a problem, Norman. Mm-hmm. Um, Luis does a rascano reyes, which is a traditional Spanish bread eaten around Epiphany. When I looked this one up to see if maybe I could do something similar, um, it looked like maybe they were kind of sweet on this, like, Mm. rather than savory. So he makes one that's savory, but also has, like, figs and serrano ham and uh, olives on top. And he has saffron in the dough, which is exciting. But this one is highly decorated. He does an amazing job, but I don't really want to eat it, I guess. I don't like olives and... I'm not oh. sure what he pipes on top. It's 100% not mayonnaise, but it looks kind of like mayonnaise. And so as he's decorating it, I kind of, I was kind of just like, ooh, this, like, I understand that this is for someone and they're going to be excited, but that someone's not for me. Although figs and serrano ham, those two are like, I would like together. And I was about. so excited about Louis, oh. Louis's. Out of the whole show, that's what I wanted to eat the most. Figs and olives and serrano ham and manchego cheese and saffron bread. Like, oh my God. Yeah. I was like, that sounds like a dream. Uh, and then I was surprised when the judges were sort of split on the flavors. Like, Paul didn't like it and Mary did. Paul is extremely picky. Paul's picky though. I trust Mary over Paul, which is funny because she's like an octogenarian and very proper but she likes food like she yeah I don't know I feel like she likes to be excited and surprised by food and has a more adventurous palate than Paul I think what I liked about this one is it's like a wall of flavor it's like those are all yeah. really strong flavors that I like and I I love the idea of just being sort of pummeled with all of them at once um, but I can see how that might be a bit intense for some people I think I may just have to like knock the olive off you know and just <laughs> 
<laughs> but the, and they're, like, they're like the good <laughs> olives, though, too. You, know? you could tell they're like the buttery, fat olives. They're you yeah. know, that, that beautiful green <laughs> color. Don't like. But I realize that that's because, sadly, I am a Paul. Um, well, not fully, but I don't know. In palette, maybe a Paul palette. Yeah. Slightly lean towards the Paul palette. Although, like, if I was judging something in this kind of context, I would endeavor to be more open-minded, I guess. Mm. Like, because it's not someone else's fault that I have particular preferences. Well, Paul does recognize it's a great bake, like, that it has worked extremely well on a technical level. He just says, like, this flavor combination is not for me, is what Paul says. Yeah. Um, Oh, Martha. Martha's looked cool, too, and I kind of thought for a minute about doing something like Martha's but I have no clue what a cheese wrapped gluten I should try it another time so she bakes an epoise cheese into the loaf apparently this kind of cheese I've never had it is so smelly that you cannot take it on transport Mm -hmm. public transportation in France (laughs) and so she designs her loaf so that the center is to be cut open to reveal an apoise fondue. And then um, she kind of has like legs or like petals of her sunflower that contain, um, I believe some of them have apricot jam and some of them have fig jam. And it looks cool too. She sticks sunflower seeds into it as a decorative element. So it looks kind of sunflowery. I thought hers looked a little lumpy. So I thought everyone's looked great before the oven. I thought everyone's looked great after the oven, more or less. But I think hers, it kind of expanded in an unexpected way a little bit. It looks a little bulbous. Um, yeah. It's kind of a bulbous sunflower. Uh, but I'm very yeah. I'm very intrigued by it. In general, I love a baked cheese, like a baked melty cheese at the center of something. Sounds great. And I am curious about how she tames this cheese, sort of. Like how the chutneys would be enough and the bread would be enough to balance it out. Like, it seems like they would have to kind of rise to meet a cheese of this intensity. I'm curious to know what it tastes like. But I thought that it would be the kind of thing that would be nice to have at a pre-COVID party or post. That's Pre-COVID party, that's not even, I can't even think about the future at the moment. And with some of the other loaves, with loaves like this, I kind of wonder, like, what the purpose of the loaf is exactly. I guess some of them, you can see, like, plunking them on, like, a table at a party. But others, not so much. I guess some of them you could see eating them from dinner. Like, Richard does a pesto pinwheel that's a tarant chair with pesto and feta and walnuts that he makes a lot. And so that, maybe with soup for dinner, would be good. The concept of Martha's would be great for a party. Literally, Martha's probably not great for a party. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know it's gonna it's gonna stink up the joint, right? It's it's like a very oh. it's very challenging for a lot of people. I think like like not everyone want to eat it, and even the the people who don't eat it will have to smell it all night in the location right. of the party. Although they did have to get pretty close to it, Mel had to get her face pretty close to it to like tell that it was. Um, smelly as heck well yeah but i mean i don't know i think if you're in in a room for a party all night i do think it would be all right kind yeah of intense. okay point taken um uh, oh yeah if mel says that's like the essence of a thousand student socks <laughs> my sinuses are always stuffed up so it probably wouldn't bother me quite as much um Chatna does a rolled and filled twin loaf that sounds good and looks good and apparently isn't that great great and is a bit cakey 
Yeah. It's um, a white bread with stuff, stuff with cauliflower, potato, tomato, and then onion and fresh curry leaves and a lot of spices. And then there's a bread spiral on top filled with mango chutney. I bet this one was a delicious eat. Like, I, I think it was, like, technically yeah. unimpressive as a bread. But I think, like, a cakey bread with all of those things just... That would be incredible. I thought so, too. Um, yeah, I didn't really... I thought about making it for a second, but I had... I thought that if I tried, 99% chance that it wouldn't be baked. I also thought about doing Ian's. Um, he does a Moroccan plaited loaf with a basara dip. Um, and I can't remember what's in basara. Broad beans, lemon, cumin, and paprika. Is what the show right. said. I have I grow fava I grow broad, broad beans, so I'll have some next year, but I don't have any right now. And they're kind of like not necessarily the easiest thing to get. So I'm gonna try making this next year. But yeah, his looks great. His goes um, well. The judges love it. It his sounds yeah. delicious. <laughs> like when they cut yeah. into it, I feel like his has the most beautiful like crackly crust crisp moment you know of cutting into the bread his tack of having like an open center and then a plaited loaf around it and that you're gonna plunk the dip in the center that strategy like when I think about like okay what's gonna be successful in terms of the bake that has a way higher chance of success than something like Chetna's or something like Kate's she does this like double braid and as soon as you're talking about like a like a a double story loaf there's just such a high chance that you're going to have like raw spots or something's going to, especially if you're filling the loaf. Mm-hmm. Nancy has a similar problem to Kate uh, where Paul sort of lifts up a cross section of hers by the outer ring of dough to sort of show the rest of it splitting away from it because of this, this gap she's developed. Uh, and it was disappointing. I was really excited, I think, about all of these conceptually. Conceptually, they all sounded really delicious. Like, Nancy's was the, was the full breakfast, right? And I, I wrote in my notes that it seems like you could never go wrong with this flavor combination with Brits. Like, like yeah. Paul and I had a lot of complaints about the bake technically, but, you know, they like the flavors because it's just, you know, sausage and bacon and eggs and tomato and mushroom, right? And it's like, it, it feels like somebody does a full breakfast something every season and every time everyone's like... I love these flavors, so it feels like very fail-safe for their audience. Um, but yeah, it's like the same the same things happens, right? Where she it's like overfilled and then it makes these big gaps. Mary says it's because of the tomatoes and I guess the moisture coming from them, um, causing it to expand in this way. And then Kate's was like having this problem and yet it was like rolled so tight that there was like nowhere for it to go and then it just didn't like it didn't bake properly as a result. Yeah. Poor Kate. Hers looks gorgeous. So Louis, Louis is the star baker in the end, uh, and he says something that makes you think of you. <laughs> he says, like, I'm so cynical, you never expect it. Like, he's so shocked that he's star baker. And I don't know, it was like an Andrea you moment. <laughs> None of the rest of us are shocked vis-a-vis Louis. I would be shocked for myself. I wonder if I would get star baker if I went on this kind of thing. I think it would be really interesting if you end up going on, like, the Canadian Bake Off and Mm. what is it called? The Great Canadian Baking Show? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, And then, like, our show becomes, like, a retrospective on your experience. (laughs) Like, that that would be a really fun season of our podcast as we go through the season that you're on. 
By fun, you mean excruciating for me personally. Mm, yeah, being forced to watch yourself <laughs> on national television. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. I'd have to buy more overalls. I don't think I can wear. Anyway. People love this on podcasts, though. People love celebrities talking about their own appearances and things. Oh, God. Even, like, oh, you know, God. super, super minor D-list celebrities. I think this is, like, yeah, I was gonna say. a thing people get super jazzed about. Um, I'm impressed uh, for myself that you put me on the D-list. Thank you. Um, Jordan goes home, and apparently this is to the relief of us and our audience. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Jordan. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. Hit hit Kim up if you want her to join your D and D group. <laughs> so this has been the Rough Puffs. Uh, your hosts are Andrea Bennett and Kim Fu. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Rough Puffs or on Instagram at the Rough Puffs. Uh, we both also write books, and Andrea's latest is Like a Boy but Not a Boy, a great essay collection. Uh, and my next is Lesser Known Monsters of the Twenty First Century, a short story collection that will be out in February. And uh, Ciao Bada to Jordan. Whose yeast has ceased. I like yeast has ceased. I think I, I think a rhyming pun is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs>